Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the award-winning Great Indoors is proud to come to the fabulous Las Vegas Convention Center, MWC 2022. Baby, let's make it amazing. Thank you, Mr. Sinatra. Yep, this is still season five of TGI, and we're still here in Las Vegas as the GSMA's official podcast. I am joined by a multitude of guests from across the industry, and I'm also here with my entire team, including, of course, my producer and co-pilot, Larissa Yee. So this is the ninth episode featuring some of the incredible conversations that we captured here at North America's biggest telecoms and technology show. In this episode, this penultimate episode from Las Vegas, I'll be speaking with Ayal Harari, the CEO of Radcom, and a previous guest and good friend of mine, Mr. Roy Chua of Avid Think. Now, ever since the conception of this podcast, we've spoken an awful lot about 5G networks and what they can bring to the world and society. But now they're here, in the United States at least. And given their, com- their obvious and given complexity, how do we keep them resilient? How do we find and diagnose problems before they occur? How do we ensure that the network always delivers the best experience? So today's discussion is, how can we meet the challenge of assuring customer experience in the 5G era? So buckle up and let's get started. So my next guest on The Great Indoors today here at uh, Mobile World Congress 2022 Las Vegas is Ayal Harari, who's the CEO, Chief Executive Officer at Radcom. Uh, thank you for joining The Great Indoors, Hal. Thank you for having me. Good yeah. afternoon. Great. And, ha- and how are you finding Vegas so far? How are you enjoying the, the show? Vegas is always fun. It's great to see the industry getting together in person after a, a while. Mm. It's much more active than last year in uh, in uh, Los Angeles. Yes. And uh, we are all waiting already for the next show in Mobile One Congress in Barcelona, which is the holy grail of the telecom. Right? Yeah, it's all building towards that. It's all built and it's just... At the moment, it's frantic, the amount of events they are, right? It's, they're back and they're coming at us thick and fast. And it looks like everyone is just eager to go and meet and, and collaborate. And we were stuck at home for too long. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, so give me an overview of, uh, and a background of yourself, Ayal, as, as well as the company Radcom that you head up. Sure. So I've been uh, running Radcom for the last three years and, uh, before that, I was the CEO of the company before promoting to be the CEO. I'm a long-term telecom guy. I was starting my high-tech career like many Israelis in the Israeli army, doing some tech uh, job there and evolving to the telecom, like, uh, which is very strong industry in Israel. I've been doing uh, R&D, then do some product marketing, evolving to the running some business. And in the recent years, I'm running Radco. So... About the company, we are already 30 years around, but we are a startup, uh, we view ourselves as, as a kind of a mix between a, a long-term company and a startup. We are very, very into innovation and uh, software uh, development, and uh, we are primarily focused on 5G today. All we do is around virtualization, 
And what we see as our mission is to try to make network more autonomous. As I think everyone understands today, telecom has a lot, a lot of manual processes, a lot of labor-intensive, uh, it's a labor-intensive organization. It's very hard to create new revenues. In today's environment, everyone needs to, to change the, the business model into something which is much, much more lean on the operation. And we are stepping in right there. We are a, a software tool that is running on a cloud, it could be the telco cloud or the public cloud, that eventually helps the telco to be much more efficient. We view ourselves like the co-pilot of the engineering and operation guys in the network right, to make sure they are super efficient and can do what they need in much smaller teams as required today while the technology is getting much more complicated. And, uh, you know, we had the 3G, then 4G, now 5G. Everything is, needs to be managed in the same time by the same teams. So that's really cool. And you mentioned that, Ayal, you've been around 30 years. You're now looking at 5G virtualization and, and, um, and making the network uh, more autonomous. So when Radcam was, was first founded and, and uh, you know, 5G wasn't even a glimmer in 1G's eye, as it were, or, or, or 2G, as it probably was then. Um, so what are the challenges in, in delivering that autonomy, given the complexity of, of 5G network architecture? So, you know, first of all, mobile is uh, used to do different Gs, different generations. And every decade you have a new generation and it's always brings a lot of new, new technology, a lot around the radio side, different network architecture. But I think what's unique today is that the telecom is doing another uh, big transformation, which is moving to become software companies, becoming cloud companies. And these two... I would say vectors. One is the cellular per se technology and one is the, let's say, IT cloud technology are, are, are merging together into a huge revolution. And if the telco was uh, always complex to manage, now when it's run on a cloud, there are many more moving parts. It's much harder to get a control. You need much, much more sophisticated ways to control it. And this is exactly where we were trying to step in. We are trying to add those models, a lot of intelligence that maybe used to be done in the past by manual processes, by engineers that are very smart engineers that knew how, to, how the telecom network runs. But we try to move this into software models that allow the operator to automate everything. It's not only that it's a different technology, a lot of the data today is encrypted. So visibility is uh, really a challenge today. Uh, we all look on uh, privacy and security and we want to be super encrypted, super uh, strict. But when you try from the other side to manage the network and suddenly you're blind because you cannot see anything, right? And then something break and you don't know why, why it's not working, what's it not working. Actually, what is the experience my subscribers are enjoying? We all uh, watch Netflix, for example. So you can uh, connect your phone or iPad and press the play button on your Netflix uh, application or, or Disney or whatever, and you just hope it will work. Right? You want high resolution, you, you want uh, immediate response, you don't want any hiccups during the movie. But in order for that to run on a cellular technology, lots of things should work. Yeah. It's the connection, it's the radio, it's the end-to-end -end view, the connection to the servers. Now imagine how everything is encrypted and you're an engineer and you need to troubleshoot something that doesn't work. This is why you need a lot of technology that, that will help you do the job. So your technology will be understanding what's actually happening in the network behind that 
encryption and providing the autonomy to make the fixes or to provide the advice to the network engineer? Both. So the, the first and foremost is that we are like uh, monitoring the network and see what's going on. Now, one of the things that networks are built like a Lego, they are built by different components that each one is doing its own job, doing it great, but there is no single point of view that understand what's going on end to end. So you have the radio part, you have the call, you have the, the voice call. It's each part of that is built by multiple components from multiple vendors. And again, something doesn't work now. Each component might assume it's working well. It's the integration and then to view that is complicated. Yeah. Now we are trying to figure it out and create this subscriber view. And we tap it into the network in multiple areas. And we, tr we start by creating the insights. When you have those insights, then you can take it into suggestions for the engineer to ease his job. And in the better way and wh where we are trying to take the company and the industry in a way is to try close the loop automatically as possible. Yeah. And there are some technologies evolution in the 3GPP that are going and enabling this direction like the NWDAF that is a new network function that is intent to add analytics into the network and allow you to close the loop in a standard way. And is it something that exponentially improves over time as these 5G networks continue to be built and roll out? Is it a learning process for your software to start self-educating itself on these problems that maybe we, you didn't know about in the past because it's complex? So I would say it's learning a process in two ways. One, we are as a company, we are learning. We are privileged to work with a very early adapters companies that starts with the 5G. We are working with some of the greenfield operators like Rakuten and Dish that are building a 5G network from scratch and they are willing to adapt something more innovative, something different. And we uh, work very closely to the with the cloud players and we identified as a company the things that weren't needed before, weren't so challenging before, are suddenly becoming an issue. And we challenge our R&D teams and our product teams to come with solutions and this is one part. But second is the software itself. We use a lot of machine learning algorithms, both for analyzing the actual sessions, but also to analyze the, let's say, the outcomes. And we, as, as you go and you add more experience of identify incidents and uh, view sessions, the software becomes smarter. So we as a company becoming smarter with, uh, with more and more experience with 5G and our software is becoming smarter as as we take it back into the software and, and now when you, we hook our solution into a new carrier, a lot of what we learned with others is already like the standard starting point. So if we had a, a new 5G network launch in Japan and we identify, let's say, 50 different issues that were first time for them, now when a new carrier, let's say in the US, starts to run its network, maybe not the same 50 issues will happen, but maybe 25. And if those 25, we can immediately solve or alert and, and, and shorten the time to remedy, then they can focus on the other 25 and do it much faster and more efficiently. And I believe this is making the industry more efficient. So this visibility and these algorithms are making telecom smarter. This is what we want to do. Let me get your thoughts 
on where we are as an industry right now, AL. So you live in the US, the race to 5G is well underway with the C-band rollouts from AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile having a clear lead uh, with the spectrum it's inherited from the Sprint acquisition. Where are we now in the US as far as 5G maturity? I think uh, we can be very proud on the carriers in the US. They did uh, fantastic work uh, deploying tons of radio all across the country, which is not easy. It's a big country with a lot of spend. Billions of dollars were spent by most carriers. And today, almost anywhere you go, you get a 5G. They mainly invested in the radio side. This is the, you know, the heavy lifting, this big budgets, and it takes time because you need to go side by side and upgrade your antennas. And there is still a lot to do, but I think we are, we can be very proud on where we are. I'm traveling a lot. I'm meeting many, many countries, uh, CTOs, uh, most of the world is, is a bit behind. We see obviously some countries in Asia that are very advanced. Europe is a bit lagging. Uh, although they are usually smaller countries and uh, they can catch up. As, as a global industry, you know, I, uh, we talked about Mover World Congress Barcelona. I think first time we heard about 5G was six years ago. Uh, we did it on the way and uh, uh, really today 5G is here. But there is a big but. Most of what we are doing as an industry today for 5Gs is not yet uh, utilizing the full value that the technology could bring. So it's mainly upgrading the infrastructure, doing about the same, maybe higher speed, lower latency, but no one is inventing yet new services, new ways to monetize. And this is where everyone is busy because this is billions of billions of dollars spent on the network. How about we get, we're going to get the money back. Now, they are in a race. They have no choice. They need to spend their money because no one wants to be last. But all of the carriers are thinking, we need to see how we get our money back. They will try to get to ask the subscribers to pay more. This did this work. Now everyone is thinking, what would be my new source of uh, revenue? And I think this is the challenge ahead of, us, ahead of us. If I looked on the next three to five years, is how we leverage all the amazing technology we have in 5G to generate new value that we generate new revenue to the telco industry. No, it's a really good point because everything has been fixed wireless access, rural coverage, connectivity. But 5G, we were promised something else. That was exactly. All of this amazing, how close do you think we are to some of those? And I'm going to use the word amazing because it's kind of a <laughs> uh, use case. I think there are a lot of tries, a lot of starting points. I think it will take time. I think we need to be patient. There is a lot of effort and there are some signs around industrial uh, connectivity, around remote uh, industries that is uh, looking like a new potential revenue source. I see a lot of industry effort around enterprise. Uh, this is always more complex because you need to invest around the integration and telco become like kind of SI. I think it will take a while. Uh, but the good thing, it's, it's happening in parallel. So you see that there is a huge effort on the radio that they know how to do it. You just now go repeat, spend the money. And in parallel, it's less, let's say more of a brain. How I invade, invent, how I yeah, innovate. And this doesn't require a lot of money from them, but a lot of uh, different thinking, marketing product. And it's happening in parallel. I, I believe it will still take time, but it, we will get there. Here's another question. 
that I, I, I've thought about, and I've, I've heard of this in, for the last year now, and at events like this, people are already talking about 6G. A, is it too early to, to really be talking about 6G given where we are? And B, where's the step change from 5G? Can you explain that to me? So I think it's uh, way too early and I think it's not really what I would focus uh, today as an industry, but I think this is one of the beauty about the telecom. There are those people that are maybe 1%, maybe 0.1% of the industry that are already bothered with what happen, what will happen in 10 years or 15 years. And they are now thinking of, of different thought that will maybe, uh, we will all join them in five years or seven years or so. I think we have a lot to do in order to leverage the full value of the 5G. And I think that a lot of the what I'm hearing about 6G is kind of more evolution to what we are seeing today with 5G. And there is no uh, necessarily a different uh, approach. I think what was very unique on the, on the 5G is this move to the software architecture, the microservice approach. And uh, with 6G, the intent is to go even further, which is an, a, tip, a normal evolution that you would expect. I think we have a few good years to spend now with 5G. Let's focus on that. Is that I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation. We're going to finish now without TGI to go round. TGI to go. And again, I'm going to ask you, give you two options. You give me your preference, okay? Sure. And the first one's interesting because... It relates to the gentleman sat right outside the window there from us. Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin? Frank Sinatra, of course. There you go. And he'll be here. He'll be pleased to hear that when he, he gets up in a couple of minutes. Blackjack or roulette? Roulette. Uh, have you had a chance to enjoy some roulette since you've been here? Nah, I want to keep my money closed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do any gambling. I just, I, it's my, the one thing I just, I, I, I can't get my head around. Deep dish pizza or seafood casserole? Seafood casserole. Yeah. Have you had a chance to sample any of the culinary delights of Las Vegas? And then I get some uh, Japanese barbecue. Oh, nice. Uh, there, there is a lot of good Japanese food in Vegas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Not last night, the night before I went to the Japanese in the uh, resort world uh, hotel and had the black cod. There's a, a recommendation uh, for those guys. Next one, this one's got some strange answers today. Singing or dancing? Neither. (laughs) (laughs) And then the final one of TGI to go for today, Miami or Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Yeah. Miami is too hot. Yeah. Too hot for me. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, it's a shame to think that this show isn't in LA anymore, but I think it's better here in Vegas, don't you think? I, I, I enjoy that every time it's in a different place, you know. It's like Barcelona is for like 20 years. Everyone been there so long. Now we, it's, there is something that uh, you get different vibes when you move to a different venue. Uh, anyhow, we are here again and again, meet many of the same colleagues, many of the same vendors. Yeah, It's okay to do it in different places every time. That's a really good point. It's a really good point. Well, listen, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us today, uh, for being uh, uh, a guest on The Great Indoors. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Same here. Thank you very much. And enjoy. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you.
Okay, I'm now joined here, MWC 2022 in Las Vegas, the great indoors, with an older guest, an old friend of ours here at Amdocs, Mr. Roy Chua, who's the founder and principal analyst at Avid Think. Roy, welcome back to the great indoors. Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure. Great. Great to see you. Great to spend some time with you. So the last time we had a good conversation about things uh, was in Los Angeles. That's right. 12 months ago, believe it or not. I, I can't believe it. It's yeah. a different place, same yeah. people. What's the biggest innovation you've seen happen in the last 12 months? I would say that it's not so much pure innovation as in the ability of the, the telcos combined with the hyperscalers to get joined cloud-based products to market. I think that that's been quite interesting, seeing the collaboration and using a variety of cloud technologies to run their telco networks. And I think, you know, historically that whole proprietary virtualization with network functions, virtualization movement, I think we've talked about it, but now I'm seeing rollouts with larger scale clouds and various cloud technologies, obviously from clouds like AWS and Azure and Google Cloud, all the way through Red Hat, VMware, Wind River and the like. So seeing that actually happen at scale is interesting. Seeing different takes on it from people like Rakuten Mobile with their own approach to it um, is interesting. And I think Dish turning on, actually going live. Here in Las Vegas. Here in Las Vegas, yeah. no less, with uh, a lot of collaborators. Um, with certainly the AWS infrastructure, but along with VMware and Dell and all the partners, um, you know, uh, I think that's been very interesting seeing that actually work. And you said the word collaboration several times that in, in your astro, touched on it all day. The level of collaboration now amongst uh, even competitors, yes, to some degree. That is correct. Yes. It's quite profound. It is quite remarkable. I think, you know, if we were speaking maybe three years ago and I said the word hyperscaler in the telco, I would be frowned upon, right? But today it's recognized as a need to collaborate, to get out there. And the scope and span of the partnerships are quite, quite interesting, quite surprising, right? So you'll see in the same rollout, you see VMware and AWS and Dell and all the partners and Mavenir and, you know, you pick all your favorite, you know, whatever. They're all sitting there trying to figure out how to work together. You know, obviously Tarek and his team have done a really good job of innovating and pushing the vendors to innovate, but it's not their own. It's not work, again, collaboration with vendors yeah. to make it happen. Yeah. And it's, it's a partnership. And I think that's the recognition that, again, you, we all need to work together to make it happen. Everyone gains when it happens. And there may be competition later on once we figure it out, but for the time being, they've realized they can't go it alone. Yeah. That's failed. That's very clearly failed. Yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Now, the other big thing I think that's happened since we last spoke or since this event happened last, I always remember Sampath. I remember he laid out his vision for 5G and he had sort of three pillars, which were similar, the same three pillars, T-Mobile, rural access, fixed wireless access, and enterprise. Yeah. What's changed? Do you think from those two statements? Yeah. So I would say that it, it's clear that rural access continues and particularly in the U.S. there's money there. So everyone's continuing to do that. And 
that needs to, that divide needs to be closed. I think there's no doubt about it. Now, how we go about it, there are variations on how we want to do it. And there's still fights around, is satellite part of that or not? And the like, but, but regardless, we have to close the divide. So I think that, sure. Um, fixed access continues. I think we've seen the projections from the analysts becoming more bullish over time. So I think that's definitely and, on. And even the numbers. Oh, the numbers, yeah, are quite remarkable. Yeah, quite, quite significant. And so it's no surprise. I mean, everyone uses some level of fixed access. I have fixed access as a backup in, in my hope. Right. So yeah. it's, it's definitely here. Um, the enterprise part, I think that unlock is going to be interesting. I think that's the part that a lot of people are working on. When I walk the show floor here and talk to different vendors and even the telcos, that's the part that I think we're all trying to figure out, you know, how to bring the technology to the enterprises, both from a public network setting and a private network setting. And how do we actually solve business problems, not the technology connectivity problems, but how do we solve actual business problems with the solutions that we're bringing to the table? And we're seeing just the beginning of that. I think we were a little over bullish, maybe too bullish around private wireless uh, last year. Uh, I think there's a little bit more reality setting in right now. I don't think it's going away because the enterprises I speak to that have deployed it for very specific problems, see the value in it. And now it's just a matter of how do we make it cheaper, more deployable, more manageable, and more understandable so that the enterprises who can benefit from it and, you know, can, can get it. And those that don't benefit from it shouldn't go try and waste their time, at least for the time being, right? So interesting. interesting. And I think as well, since again, a year ago, there was the C-band rollout with yeah. um, Verizon and, and AT&T. T-Mobile still has the lead and they've made remarkable strides. They have. Particularly with their yeah. market cap. What's the next chapter? So T-Mobile definitely has done a very good job. I'm very impressed by the engineering team in terms of their very focused and very rapid network rollout and the bet on 5G sort of everywhere. So I think they've done a great job there. I think they're very good, again, at marketing and recruiting a number of subscribers. I think where T-Mobile will need to work very hard, and I see uh, T-Mobile for Business, TFB's uh, big advertisement sitting on that big screen here. Um, I think, you know, the TFB team will have to show the value to the enterprises beyond just selling more 5G mobile plans. I think, how does 5G work for the enterprises? How do you leverage that wonderful network that T-Mobile has built with so much capacity that it's making it available to different partners and MVNOs, right? So it's got great capacity. Now we have to tie it back to business enterprise use cases and products. I think that's going to be the next challenge. And they clearly recognize it. They're here on the floor, right? Pushing and yeah. talking. And, and that's, I think, the gap because Verizon, AT&T, at least in the US, do have decent enterprise offerings, right? Historically, and now I think, you know, T-Mobile will have to close that gap. I mean, Dish is talking about the same thing, but Dish has got two problems. They got to get the, the macro network for consumers going first and simultaneously figure out what their private or enterprise strategy is simultaneously, at least in the U.S. markets. Now, what I think is interesting as well, and, and it's a recent development for sure, and I think I asked you this question in Los Angeles, Roy, was, 
when we talked about 5G, we prophesized, speculated, dreamed, hypothesized about this new world with all these incredibly imaginative use cases that we're going to make our, our world better. And then I think we, we saw the reality that 5G was a lot of connectivity, a lot of fixed wireless access, a lot of room access. But has that inflection point, I think it's either happened or is almost happening. Those new, more exciting, sexy use cases, they're starting to appear. They are starting to appear. I think uh, you need a, a certain amount of coverage and ubiquity and capacity in the network to make it happen. So we're seeing a little bit of that. So capacity-based use cases, I think we're starting to see some of, um, so the latency-sensitive use cases on the private side we're seeing, on the public networks, the public networks today, if you, if you chart the latency across all the carriers, and I've done some of that just for fun, we're not quite there yet. And so that AR, VR, you know, straight feed from carrier edge, if you will, that's just starting. But the good news is that it's going the right direction. We are seeing uh, some impressive numbers in some of the early tests, early POCs in specific regions. So I suspect in the 12 to 18 month time frame, we'll actually see more of those use case rollouts. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting. The next one I think is automotive will get turned on and that will be probably a big driver of edge use cases on the mobile side. And that because, you know, car model years and all that, you get to be built in, there is a lead time to that. So somewhere probably in the 18, 24 month timeframe, we'll see those use cases. And that's a whole different thing. It's, it's a whole new experience with semi-autonomous, autonomous vehicles, maybe we'll see. But in-vehicle experience is another interesting use case, which I expect to see innovation. Again, for me, all the talking about it for years and years and years, and now we're going to have a little, you know, we're going we're gonna to start seeing these new things start to come forward. Now that the network is rolling out, it's, mm -hmm. the, the coverage is becoming ubiquitous, the, the pop presence bigger every day, then those new things start to build on top of it. And like you said, once that edge network is out, driven predominantly by automotive, and then that gives birth to other potential. That, that's correct. You yeah. need the lead things to show up first. And I, I think what's the other positive element you're asking about innovations here in terms of rollout is the telco cloud, the edge cloud powering all RAN or, or cloud RAN or virtual RAN workloads. So the telco needs it for themselves anyway. And then once they figure out how to run it efficiently, then the spare capacity, then the applications can come and sit on top of that, right? So I think that's going to be interesting. That's the wave I'm looking at and, you know, over the next 12, 18 months. I think it's going to be interesting. I'm going to throw this one in there for you, Roy. Uh, I think this is an interesting one. It's probably the biggest hyped word, not just in this industry, but in the world right now. And that, of course, is metaverse. I was waiting for the M word. There we go. I was waiting for the M word. <laughs> Yeah. So give me your thoughts. Yeah. So, you know, you get eyes rolling, you get different reactions in Metaverse. You get some people really excited about it. I think fundamentally for me, it's Metaverse is that sort of the, is, is an end state of the, of the digitization journey, right? It's basically everything that we have in the analog world that we've been digitizing to either op and optimize, manage better, do whatever it is that we want to, right? I IoT and all those elements of it entertainment and all that, digitization nirvana, if you will, right? It's what the met metaverse represents. 
And then obviously in that universe, you recreate some of the physics in the real world so you can do various things with it, like digital twin or whatever it is. But you can also break the laws of physics in the metaverse and find new ways of doing things. For instance, connecting people with avatars over long distances, right? Because physical limits go away. It is a journey that we really started. So it's, it's not like it's a new, it's, it's that we named the destination a cooler word, if you will. But the process has started across the enterprise side of industrial use cases. The process has started across media and entertainment. The process has started across you know, personal communications as well. The process started in the healthcare industry, right? And so when we get to the end state, whatever the end state, and we may never, you know, it's, like, it's a journey. But as we get further and further along, more and more things become capable. But first is we usually find analogs of physical world. Then we do cool things with it analyze it, do something with it. And then we break the laws of physics because it is not a physical world. And then you find innov innovation on top of it. And that's what I expect to see. Now, and this is an open-ended question, really. What else excites you right now that you may have seen since we've last spoken, or you may have even just witnessed this week? So I think for me, the realization of AI and ML I am seeing real-world use cases on the networking side from a management standpoint, root cause analysis, things like, you know, as esoteric as fault management, the performance management, we're seeing that use in there and, and getting very decent results across multiple vendors and carriers. So we're seeing elements of that. So I think that's, that's pretty hopeful. You know, on the AI ML side, it's remarkable what it can do. It's kind of scary what it can do as well simultaneously. And we've actually tried some of the technologies ourselves. Um, so the, uh, the, the DALI image uh, generation engine with AI, the next report we're pushing out, Telco and Edge, the cover is going to be actually AI generated, just trying it out. And it is pretty scary the first time you see what can be generated, but like you wouldn't experience it for the first time. I was blown away. And so it's, yeah, I was blown away. Um, I've also tried AI ML on the writing side, hoping it would help me write reports. Not quite there yet. Definitely not quite there yet. It's, it's just, that one, that one, I'm, I'm not as, I'm, you're like, oh, that's pretty cool, but nah. Whereas the, you know, the graphics engine, the Dolly and all those things, I was like, wow, scary. All right. But yeah, but definitely everywhere across our lives in networking, in telcos and personal lives, I would see a lot of, I, I think we're going to see a lot more impact. We're going to finish now with our TGI to go round. Oh, okay. This is a fun feature we introduced in the last season. It's very simple. I give you two choices. You give me your preference. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So we, we get to learn a different side. It's like A or B. Exactly. One or two. Yeah. You kind of, you've also got to explain your rationale. So oh, that's even more complicated. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's go for it. TGI to go. TGI to go. Question one, Frank Sinatra or Dean Martin? Frank Sinatra. Um, why? I don't know. I see Dean, Dean Martin wearing, I don't know, for what reason, that blue jacket, mm -hmm. maybe colorized. <laughs> that doesn't work for me. And Frank, I see in a sort of dark brown colorized or rail. I don't know. I think that fits better. Weird. There's a little <laughs> weird reasons like that. I don't know. That's a good answer. That's and, a good answer. Yeah. The Venetian or the Cosmopolitan? I like the Venetian because it's kind of kishy with the canals. Yeah. And I, it's kind of, you know, I, 
you know, people sort of laugh, like, like, oh, canals are stupid, dumb, and all that. And they walk in like, actually, it's kind of cool, the fact that you could do it, and there's water in there, and the gondola, I, in some weird way, it's kish, but it's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I like that. But I was right, I stayed there a few number of years ago with, with a colleague, and uh, we were walking through the canals and, yeah. uh, and, and the squares. And she says to me, what? This is actually better than Venice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's strange. It's and you know it's fake, it's kishy, but it's, yeah. it's like, oh, it's actually quite cool, you know? Like, you know, anyway, but yeah. yeah. San Diego or Miami? San Diego. The weather's a little better. I like the little cliffs. Um, I have a preference. My son goes to school in San Diego. Oh. Yeah, he does. So I, oh, I right. like it. And we get it. Yeah, it's a good enough reason. Yep. Ramen or pizza? Ramen. Yeah. I'm done with pizza. Pizza was like the first 20 years of my life or 30 years of my life. And now it's the ramen stage, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the final question for today, Roy, baking or hiking? I, I don't know. I, oh, that's a difficult one. I like both actually. So I, I hike, you know, um, my family, the kids, they like to go hiking. So I right. like that. But my kids and my wife like baking and like the results of baking. So. Right. You know what? I'm gonna go with bake. I'm gonna go baking. All right, because there is a, I think it, it's a sweeter result in the end. Okay, yeah. That was the the great indoors bake off, right there. That's right. Um, Roy, thank you very much. Great to see you again. Thank you very much for coming on the Great Indoors again. Do you have any final thoughts or comments you would want to leave before our listeners before we close today? No, I, I think you know it, it's great what you do. It's excellence. I like the diversity of speakers and topics, and I think it brings a different world and the conversation's much better than open rant, C-U-D-U-V-D-U-V rant, right? I mean, like at some point you get tired of that. So I really do enjoy it. It's a good break. Thank you very much, Roy. Thank, Thank you, man. Much. Great to see you. Likewise. Another great episode. I really want to thank my guests, Ayal and Roy for joining me. Uh, brilliant discussion. Hard to believe there's only one more left from Las Vegas, one more episode. And then we'll finish off the year in season five with our special Brazilian editions of the show. Yes, we went to Brazil. Stay tuned for more and also check out amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors for more information, back episodes, videos, and other content associated with TGI. I'm Matthew Roberts. I'm still here in Las Vegas for Amdocs. And I'll see you next time, wherever you are.